With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day. Force makes headlines at Santa Anita. What's news about that? Well, the race is the $83,000 Santa Anita Derby. And the horse, Silky Sullivan. A horse with a growing fame and a sensational racing style. Don't strain your eyes looking. Silky Sullivan is last. Some 30 lengths back, and that's where he stays right down to the halfway mark. <laughs> There's a record crowd on hand, 63,000. A lot of them here to see Silky Sullivan, who is not last now. He's moving up on the outside, fast, as they come into the home stretch. It's a sensational sprint down to the wire. Oh From 30 lengths behind, Silky Sullivan moves up and up to lead by more than three lengths going across. A headline performance by any standard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's how he ran. It's, uh, so he would just hang back. He would just hang back. They couldn't, they <laughs> couldn't awesome. convince him to run at all. He, uh, okay, here's how this came about. Uh, Hard Boot is running in the Mystic Lake. Derby tomorrow. Sure. So I was I, I looked up his bio and he won the Silky Sullivan uh stakes or uh at uh Golden Golden Gate this year. That's his claim to fame. Yeah. So I said, Okay, I gotta tell Manny and the folks about Silky Sullivan. <laughs> because this is the fifties. I gotta rewatch this in This two. is the fifty oh, you could there's a bunch of them out there. There's some he came from further behind. <laughs> that one was thirty one lengths. He was wow. 31 lengths behind. But Silky Sullivan was foaled in 1955, and uh, he was uh, a, a good, impressive-looking horse, but uh, he ended up being one of the late, great, one of the greatest late runners of all time to the point that for decades, somebody would say, well, he came back like Silky Sullivan, whether it was a fight or no matter what it was. But uh, his uh, uh, original, the guy who bred him, I got to find this now. The guy who bred him said that when he was uh, like a yearling, he was out in the pasture with the other young horses. And he would, he would, they'd open up the corral, for want of a better word, and paddock and let him go out and run in the field. 
And he's always wait till they were a ways away from him, and then chase him down. He apparently turn on the jets. as a as a one year old. He would he loved to you know let the other horses have a head start, and then go wow. by him, and he'd go roaring by him, and he, that became you know when he got out there running at age two, that's what happened. Uh, he, he ran them the same way. Silky yeah, Sullivan. He won that race by like five or six. <laughs> yes, that's unbelievable. Right. Oh yeah. It's it, it it was more fun than the, the circus and we 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 knew about him. Uh, he he would uh, basically Willie Willie Shoemaker wrote him for, for a while and said he uh, uh, when when he wanted Santa Anita uh, the first time he won a stakes uh, his trainer said he came out of the gate in a trance and a truss meaning <laughs> and I said. Here's one for the glue factory. Then all of a sudden, it was like he was stung by a bee. Until he made the big move, I thought I'd be looking for a job, he said. Uh, his jockey, George Taniguchi, when he won his first one, he broke with the field, and then it was it was if he was sucked back. And I thought, oh, my God, what's he doing? He was immediately 10 or 20 lengths behind the other horses. I let him go like that until about three ace, until about the three ace pole, and I finally gave him a tap on the shoulder, and then he changed gears. I never thought we'd catch up. We were so far back, but I never wrote anything like that before. <laughs> we were flying, he said. Uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, just uh, uh, unbelievable. It was the way he ran, and that's there's some thought that it went back though when he was a just a young horse and he liked chasing other horses he liked chasing him down but if you see the as you see the youtube you can't believe it it's it it it, it kind of reminds me of like the rocky movies where rocky yeah, right. would be letting his, <laughs> yeah. let himself get just pounded by clubber lang or somebody and they'd show mickey on the in in this corner saying what are you doing rock come on yeah. and then all of a sudden, Rocky would just explode in the last round and knock the guy that out. That was the that was the Santa Anita Derby that we played the sound from. Yeah, and that's when we all that's when we started hearing about him, and that's when we all wanted to see him. Unfortunately, he showed up for the Derby, and he fell back, and they never ran. He just he he finished twelfth. He just and then he came back for the Preakness and finished eighth. He just I don't know maybe <laughs> East Coast tracks or something. Yeah, but he he never ran, but. He still had a great career. A lot of win, twelve wins out of twenty-five races, or something like that. All of them from thirty lengths behind. If you're if you're a jockey on the other horses, <laughs> yeah. and you see this happening, yeah, you got to be you got to be mad, right? You got to be <laughs> yeah, like, what, right. what the hell is this? Yeah, like, oh, he's well, hanging like, back, and then yeah, all of a sudden down the stretch, he's just on the the derby, he just goes out, and he never tries to run on the rail or anything. He just goes outside and goes zoop. Who who but, did you say the jockey was? Well, it, he had different ones, but Schumacher had him a few times. For, well, the Willie Schumacher had him a few times for that race. And what does and this Santa Anita Derby? Yeah. And what does he mean by a tap on the shoulder? Oh, this was one of his first races. That was another one. He just whacked him with the whip once, you know. And off or he might even hit him with a might even hit him with the hand and said, "Let's." let's and he on. just we can't put up, up with this anymore. <laughs> it's like he but, hit over. But they also said there were times when they tried to get him started when you hadn't ridden him before. Because everybody's, well, you can see the video. I mean, everybody's, not yeah. only is he 30 links from the lead, he's 20 links from the last horse. Yeah. And and they 
they would try to encourage him, and he, nah, not yet. Not into it. Not yet. And then when he wanted to go, whoosh. And it was, <laughs> he, it was he was, he was playful. They said he was a great horse. And uh, one of his owner's trainers or something said he was a person. Yeah. He said he had a personality yeah. of a person. He yeah. just, yeah. He'd, he'd mess with you. <laughs> you know, mess. Yeah. And he became a good stud. I mean, he had, he didn't have great horses, but he had, a, he had a pretty good horses. But, uh, yeah, Silky Sullivan. It's uh, it it was part of the lore of my youth, and it was used forever for to to talk about comebacks. He came back. I wonder how many hundreds of times Jim Murray wrote. He came back like Silky Sullivan. You know, I'm gonna have to look. That you know, you got to look up these yeah, videos, folks. Yeah. It's it's fantastic and fun because you you can't. You know, I'll show you, you can this have, one, Kenny. During the break. you can't imagine what the jockeys were thinking when they first wrote him and said. The hell here, buddy. What are we doing? Come on. <laughs> Silky Sullivan is today's because that guy said he was like a person. We'll call him the, yeah, sports, call him the sports person, person of, the of the day. That's we'll go right. with it. Derek Wedmore covers the twins for uh, 1500ESPN.com as well as makes as well as being responsible for all the content on that website, sir. Uh, so uh, what's the latest on our guy, Escobar? Well, good news, Pat, for a change. Uh, Twins are hopeful that he'll be back tomorrow. He's out of the lineup tonight to still some soreness, and maybe a little swelling in that elbow where he got hit. But uh, it looks right now, anyways, like he'll be able to avoid a DL stint, and that's, that's really good news <laughs> for a team whose infield was already super, super thin, and I really don't think they could have afforded to lose Escobar. Did they uh, x-ray it? Uh, I didn't hear anything about that. It's just that they were uh, doing pain tolerance stuff today, seeing if he could go through pregame, uh, you know, some batting practice and things like that. They're actually hopeful that he could be available in an emergency tonight. I think best-case scenario is you keep him off the field and see if he's ready to go tomorrow. So do we got Taylor Motter in there again? Yeah, he'll be playing third base tonight. That's easy on an extra interfielder, right? That's that's exactly what he's doing on this team. I mean, he made the 25-man roster as a guy who could play everywhere, frankly. And, uh, yeah, anyways, not to go down a road that they're not going to have to go now, but if you lose Escobar, you don't have anybody else on the 40-man that can play infield unless you want to bring Sano back. So, Or uh, yeah, you, you add Nick Gordon to the 40-man and bring him up and right. let him play. Yeah, let's we're, go. We're past, I, the, uh, we're past the terrible twos almost here, so you can uh, – you can bring him up, although his batting average has gone downhill down there in uh, Rochester. So, Yeah, I, but, it's just bad. I don't mean to cut you off there, Pat. It's bad timing for them because Polanco, Jorge Polanco, is just about done serving his suspension. And, you and know, hasn't played yet, right? Right. He's still out right. with the although, bad finger. Yeah, but more good news on that front. I'm kind of hearing that they're optimistic that they could really expedite that rehab process for Polanco. I mean, if they need to. He did face uh, Irvin Santana through a live bullpen session down there in Fort Myers today, and I heard Polanco was one of the hitters standing in. And realistically, if he's okay to get into a game at DH, I think the Twins could play him a handful of games down there and then get him up here as their DH, maybe let him learn shortstop on the fly. And that's speculation on my part, but I don't see that as too far out there given that uh, his suspension will be up here in eight or nine days, I think. July, it, it was going to expire July 2nd if they if the Twins didn't have any rainouts, and they haven't had yeah. any yet. So, yep. so Rosario's, right. Rosario's playing, I take it. Huh? 
He's back, yeah. Molitor said they wanted to stay ahead of that shoulder injury for Rosario, and so it was more of a, a day off. And I think given the, the way the lineup looks right now without Rosario Oof. and Escobar, <laughs> that would have been that's tough sledding. So, yeah, he's back in there pretty much right away. And uh, you know what? It's not always uh, who you play, but when you're playing them, Texas, you look at their record and they're terrible, but I think they've won five or six in a row, right? They're sure, starting. And, and yeah, they're playing big, good now all of a sudden. And they're going to have uh, Big Sexy on Sunday, Pat. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Cologne, and, been the... Cologne and Berrios. If you're not going to that game, you don't like baseball, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, uh, two opposite sides of the spectrum. And, <laughs> I mean, that's been the story with the Rangers this whole year is – they actually, I kind of liked their lineup. You're looking at them in spring training uh, with Beltre and that whole group, but the starting pitching was always going to be a question, and that's kind of played out here this year. They, Boy, when they can pitch, they're all right, but uh, it's tough to st- string together a starting rotation for them. Yeah, it's uh, the, the Twins have actually, uh, they considering all the, how banged up they are, that going four and two against Cleveland and uh, Boston was okay, but uh, you know, I don't know. You look at the lineup right now and how the heck they're going to score runs. Right. Yeah, and they're they're actually pitching, which I think is the doubly frustrating part for the Twins and and for their fans, frankly. That it's been a while since we've seen a one through five starting rotation here, and and now they seem to have that going. Uh, the bullpen can straighten some things out, but they're just playing shorthanded offensively. And, and they'll get some reinforcements here soon. Like I said, Escobar could be back in there tomorrow. Polanco's probably not too far off. But, boy, they're not exactly playing with a complete deck right now offensively. Uh, the bullpen's interesting. Uh, it, it almost looks like your eighth inning guy's Hildenberger. Uh, you know, Reed has been shaky. I mean, they tried him again the other day. I guess they brought him back out. He's been terrible. Ryan Presley has uh, become more and more uh, unreliable. Uh, and, uh, of course, Belial is just here for giggles. Uh, what, uh, I mean, they're, uh, Zach Duke, uh, Hildenberger, who, uh, was so bad in spring training, you couldn't believe it. And then so bad in April, you couldn't believe it. But he's, he's good. He's been good. And I think he's probably your eighth inning guy, don't you? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's just a matter of how this thing has evolved. And in really short order, I, I haven't run the numbers on this, Pat, but just my sense from following the team, I feel like Ryan Presley and Addison Reed pitched in every single game for the first 50 games for the Twins. It just had that feeling that any time the seventh or eighth inning rolled around and it was close, it was going to be those two guys. And I don't know this at all. I, that's just pulling it from my notebook thinking like hey, have these guys been overworked or have they have they pitched too many times you know three out of four or something like that whereas Hildenberger you actually got to back off him a little bit uh that's not exactly an encouraging development for a bullpen that was going to be relying on those guys but if Hildenberger steps up and gosh Alan Buznitz is throwing lights out in the minor leagues right now that they can actually piecemeal together a bullpen even if Addison Reed isn't the setup guy but uh I don't know. I'm I'm kind of curious to see how this evolves, given that they they basically decided in spring training. Zach Duke's the seventh inning, Addison Reed's the eighth inning, Fernando Rodney's the ninth, and it's kind of it seems like it's changed on almost a weekly basis with some of those names flipping in and out of there. July second is the uh, is the international signing date. Uh, I wonder uh, if these guys are going to go high profile. They don't have that much money, right? That's the thing. They they have in and the They past, gave some they, of it up, right? Yep, that was part of the, uh, what was it? 
was that tied in with the Otani trade that they were? I can't remember. They moved some international money around yes. that, and all I know is off the top of my head that they have a. I don't know the exact dollar amount, but it's less than what they've had to play with in the past because they've been real big players in that market the past couple of years. Uh, Wander Javier was a big name signing, and of course, you know, you go back to Miguel Sano and Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler. They've They've uh, been really big players in that space, and I don't think that they're going to be this year. Um, There's still some prospects, but I'd be lying if I told you that and Javier got he, prospects out of Venezuela. Javier got waylaid by injury too, right? Yeah, and Man, I, I, has he played this year, Pat? I, don't I was looking think at so. minor league box scores the other day, and I, I didn't find his name. And um, Felix Jorge is finally working his way back. Uh, that's an unrelated item, but it's. Yeah. There are some injuries in the twin system that I wasn't even acutely familiar with because there have just been so many to track this season. It kind of seems like that's the way it's gone for 2018 twins. That's right. Uh, the, uh, the the draft, I saw they were up to 20-some. They've signed 24, 25. It's not a draft that uh, seemed to knock your socks off either. I wonder if they're going to – this kid that uh, – the local kid that they said was pretty much unsignable, he had two home runs in target field last week in the state high school tournament. Halverson? Okay. All right. I, I admit we better, I we better find some money to pay him. Yeah. Well, last year they were uh, giddy with the amount of pool money they had to play around with, and they, they moved some of it around. Royce Lewis, yeah. their top pick, obviously signed for underslot value, and – they were able to move some of that money into later rounds, but they uh, talking with some of the people involved in the draft this year. Not to say that they were down on it, but uh, they didn't exactly have the same amount of money to play around with, given that they were picking later and they uh, they gave up the pick for Lance Lynn. So that yeah, cost them they gave money. up two draft, two picks, and right? then the Phil Hughes draft yeah. pick. They basically gave up two to to trade part of his contract. So yeah, they had a, a limited deck in that regard too. Uh, I don't know. I think they were pretty happy with what they were able to do last year, and we'll see what the class looks at like once it's all said and done uh, this year. Kirloff, uh, I see, got promoted though. They got to be happy right. with uh, after missing a year how, how good he's looking. I've heard nothing but good things about him, Pat. That and of course, what are you going to say for your first round pick? But that uh, even when he was out for the year with Tommy John surgery, there were people saying. Do not take your eye off Kirloff. He is a guy who can really get it going again and. The way he hit in Cedar Rapids to start the season, he got promoted before Royce. Um, yes, I know it's too surprising. Although Royce had some really good numbers down there too, I think you could see him promoted before the year's up um, in the Florida State League. But yeah, Kirilov is uh, one of those names that kind of flies under the radar almost. Uh, in that you hear about the bigger prospects, the the guys at the top of everybody's list, and Royce Lewis, Nick Gordon, even Stephen Gonzalez makes a lot of those lists, but. Kirilov is every bit the prospect of some of those guys, and we don't hear about him too much. It's, I guess it's good to see for the Twins that he succeeded uh, in the low minors and good, could continue to move up. Pat. Good news for the uh, Brain Trust. Uh, yesterday, uh, Randy Rosario gave up a grand slam for the War of the Cubs, so there's one guy that they let get away that, uh, you know, they've... Uh, you know, I got to think that they look around right now and the way this year's gone and the way some of their manpower decisions have gone, that they got to think they're still trying to get their act together. Well, it's not the, it's Ryan not Murphy a, doing? Huh? Did John Ryan Murphy hit another one the other day? I, I don't uh, know. No, I mean, just a, a lot of stuff that they've done is... Uh, has not uh, not gone well for them. And I'm, well, I'm, I, I don't disagree with you. What I'm curious about is the 
big decisions that they've made. I, I see. I'm I'm fine with them. I mean, I think drafting Royce looks good. I think the idea of adding the free agents that they added this winter it was sound. I, I think that they really felt like they had a window here and they pushed some chips into the middle. But the way, yeah, Logan Morrison has turned out, Lance Lynn started off really slowly. Uh, the one good thing you can say is the Jake Odorizzi trade looks brilliant. Um, but there have been some 40-man roster decisions that seem to have come back. By, you mentioned Randy Rosario. JT Shagwa was on that list earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some very questionable things that they've done. I keep going back to this one, though, Pat. You put this team together, and I don't think you could have predicted that you'd be without Jason Castro, Joe Maurer for a month, Miguel Sano for a month, and now more, Jorge Polanco for half a season, and, you know, Irvin Santana is just climbing back up on the mound now, and we're at the end of June. So not to make excuses for them, but I do think that they're dealing with a lot of injuries that have uh, really changed the outlook of their 25-man roster. Ten starts this year for Herb Santana. Over and you got the over or the under? I'll take the over. I think they could probably fast track him back. And uh, if you want to be cynical about it, it's you want to get him out there, show some uh, possible suitors that he can still pitch in the major leagues, and maybe get something for him at the trade deadline. All right, Derek. Uh, it's going to be a nice weekend for a change. Yeah. Doesn't look like any rainouts. That would be uh, fantastic. We'll take it. All right, sir. Thanks. Thanks, Pat. Derek Wetmore. Okay, Escobar not in the lineup. He will uh, apparently play tomorrow. And as uh, Rosario back in the lineup. And uh, Taylor Motter, who they brought up as an emergency, emergency, emergency guy. Can't get him out of the lineup now, man. He's in there every day. You know what? Uh, but here's the problem. If you want, Taylor, if you want Joe Suture to re- maintain his... A twins fandom, you got to get a haircut, man. Yeah, he's he's, he's got a real hard time. Got to get rid of those locks. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> Joe's, Joe's, you know, he's he's just trying to tolerate the crooked cap now, and now and then he's got the long hair to go with it. You're going to ruin Joe as a baseball fan. So get a haircut, kid. We'll be back. in the car, I'd be singing. Yeah, you're not, though, so please save us. Hey, Kenny, you know I was down in Jackson, Minnesota a couple weeks ago to go to the dirt track? Yeah. Uh, We haven't written the thing yet, but I called them today to check on some things. They had four inches of rain down there a couple days ago. They can't run uh, tonight. Yeah, it's that's, hard. that's a tough job, man, yeah, running is. a dirt track. No yeah. wonder some of these places turn it into asphalt, even though the dirt racing's better. And what's tough is being a racer and traveling from, like, say, South Dakota, North Dakota, or Wisconsin. You get halfway there, you get 90% there, and you find out it's rained out, and you've just spent all that money. Yes. Yeah. You know, and you saw when you were there the huge rigs that they're showing up in. Yeah. I mean, it's semis. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, it's something, though. I, he was... You know they they never know if there's a certain level of rain that they yep. once they get it then they, that those clay tracks can only absorb so much you know well and, yeah he got he's rained out tonight anyway which is unfortunate because we were sending the greatest little photographer in the history of uh, Star Tribune uh, Aaron Levinsky down there down to there. shoot it we'll get him next week so 
We'll have to push it back a week. It sounds but. like he's got a nice little bull ring down there. I've, I oh, haven't been to that yeah, track, but I really four, want to go down there. He, he shortened it to four tenths. Yeah, that's and smart. And he built a grandstand. It's much there. more marketable that way. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's pretty good. That's uh, that's probably I, I would imagine. Uh, stand now that they have a grandstand and they got some sort of suites upstairs. It's probably, uh, there probably aren't many dirt tracks like it in Minnesota. I love that the Star Tribune and you are getting in on this because there are a few gems around, including really close by to us at Cedar Lake. Yeah, Cedar, Cedar Lake, Lake Speedway. Has, uh, been, yeah, that's, that's an awesome that's been, track. That's been at it for quite some yep, time. Forever. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to, we talked to uh, Jim Cott earlier this week and he was uh, fantastic. And what the heck? We're going to uh, have a uh, sequel to it and uh, and run a little encore, uh, a little encore, and uh, we're going to run Jim here, and uh, and uh, then uh, the Twins tonight, home Texas. They got a series this weekend. Oregon State is going to stay alive. They're ahead eleven to two over Mississippi State. <laughs> I think that State. game might be a little bit out of reach yes. for uh, uh, Oregon Bulldogs. State. There's some uh, Golf's got a that lineup is good. Golf's got a tough draw, man. All righty, we'll be right back. Here's legendary pitcher and broadcaster Jim Cott on the ride with Royce. Jim Cott, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, Patrick. June 19th, 1962, Jim Cott hits his first Major League home run. Who'd you hit it off? Dominic Zanny. Dominic Zanny, I hardly remember him. Where was he from? Where was he with? Who was he with? He was with the White Sox. Okay, all right. And I used Don Mincher's bat, <laughs> T-112, and Minch said, look, when he gets behind in the count, look for a fastball. Uh-huh. And I think the count went to 3-1 and one or 3-2, and two, and I got a nice fastball there. It was in old Comiskey Park, and uh, somehow or other found the barrel of the bat, and away it went. <laughs> okay, so uh, where did, you, did you pull it? Must have pulled it, huh? I did, right center field. Wow, that Somewhere was... we out over that uh, three, I think it was 375 to right center in old Comiskey. You were a good hitter, though, but you didn't, you didn't worry about power. You were worried about uh, hitting something that would drop, huh? Well, uh, Johnny Sane, and of course in 62 when I hit that, was before Johnny Sane, but even Eddie Lopat uh, was our pitching coach, and their theory before the DH was try to be responsible for one run a game as a pitcher. Uh, Bun a man over, hit a sacrifice fly, steal a base, knock a run in, whatever. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of blowback from people that say, ah, they wasted time with the pitcher hitting and let's go to the universal DH. But our goal was to always try to be a better hitter than the opposing pitcher because that gave you an advantage and that's why I kind of I kind of like the game better without the DH. And uh that early Twins pitching staff uh, here in Minnesota, Pedro Ramos was a good hitter and I think Camilo was okay, wasn't he? Well, Camilo hit a grand slam. Uh Jim Perry was a good yeah. hitter. Boswell was a good hitter. <laughs> oh, we was had, he? A, we had a good Yeah, I, I would say one year we may have had, I don't know, six to ten home runs from our pitching staff. Um, 
and a lot of a lot of good hits. We had a we had a, a pitching staff that could hit rather well. And and then of course Dean Chance came along and ruined that. Yeah, <laughs> he was, right. he was yeah. one of the, he's one of the five worst of all time. I think he was horrible. Yeah, Dino Dino gave us as great a pitcher as he was. He gave us pitchers a a bad rap as being <laughs> non athletes, <laughs> and he was. You know, Dino was a great high school basketball yes, player. Yes, he was, but he could not hit yeah. at all. Could he bunt? I can't. Could he lay down a bunt or not? I can't I even remember. I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, in those days, if you couldn't bunt, I mean, they made you keep bunting until you learned how to bunt. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. And, of course, you still are the last Twins pitcher to hit a home run. And, uh, well, uh, that's the DH game. <laughs> yeah, 1972. Uh, so, Chris Sale's pitching here again tonight, pitching tonight for the Red Sox against the uh Twins, being a left-handed hitter against him can't be any fun, Jim. Or even a right-handed hitter. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I right. love Chris Sale. I, I see a lot of Red Sox games because I get their network up here in Vermont. And he, uh, you know what's so unique about Chris is he keeps it so simple. Uh, he doesn't go to the pitchers' meetings where they, you know, we used to call them scare the pitchers' meetings where when you came out of there you thought, well, where am I going to throw the ball? Yeah. Every every place you think of, they say, well, you can't pitch him here, you can't pitch him there. And the other thing Chris does is he never shakes off his catcher. Mm-hmm. He just says, well, you know, if he feels it's the best pitch, he has complete confidence in the catcher, as, say, Steve Carlton did with Tim McCarver. And then I think Chris's mindset is, if I throw the pitch he wants, the catcher calls, and I execute it, they're not going to hit it anywhere. So he's he's uh, he's all about executing what he has, and his stuff is so good with that uh, kind of funky motion with his elbows and and uh, kind of angular body that is has to be difficult for the hitter to pick up the ball. It, he, uh, I didn't realize he doesn't go to the meeting. He just says, uh, "Well, we're good here. No. We don't we don't have to talk about this." Which I really like, because, I mean, when I coached for Pete Rose, the first day that I uh, had the pitchers in the pregame meeting, I said, now, I said, this is going to be the shortest meeting you've ever had (laughs) at going over the hitters. I said, for as long as Abner Doubleday, when he invented the game, it's high and tight, low and away, get your off-speed pitches over when you're behind in the count, strike one is the most important pitch, if they're a pull hitter, we'll play them a step to pull. If they're not, we'll play them straight away or a step the other way. Good luck and go get them. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I really think the game was more enjoyable back then when we really kept it simple. Yeah, I mean, if you're good enough, if if they tell you to throw it uh, here against this hitter, if you're good enough to do that, uh, then you can throw it any if, if you if you're good enough to throw it to an exact spot, then then you don't need some big report because you're you're going to be a good yeah. pitcher. Execution will beat technology any day of the week. <laughs> That's true, but he's. Uh, I, I wonder if he would have been come along years ago if somebody would have tried to straighten out that motion of his some old pitching coach or uh, did they appreciate well funky? It, you did know, they that's appreciate possible. funky. Yeah, I, I don't know, because I don't think uh, years ago they were quite into the cookie-cutter 
you know, motion, kind of comparing it yeah. to the golf swing. Nowadays, everybody is trying to have that perfect golf swing, whereas years ago, guys just kind of went with what they had. So I, I never, uh, I just remember Jim Lemon uh, telling me, he said, you know, you're, you, you got to speed up your motion. You know, your motion's too deliberate. And, but then when I'd hear Harmon Killebrew tell me, that different hitters got on first base, and they would say, well, his fastball is sneaky because his motion is so deliberate. Yeah, right. But the ball sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you, you have to be real careful about trying to change a guy who's been successful with what he's had, whether it's in high school, college, or in the minor leagues. Hey, Jim, uh, we just had a piece in the Star Tribune. Phil Miller did it on the uh, wind-up going away. Even with starting pitchers, the uh, you don't the elaborate wind-up uh, is is uh, kind of going away. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, starting pitchers, even when nobody's on base, pitching out of a modified version of the stretch. Yeah, and I, I don't like that. I mean, I know watching my grandkids, they all are taught now to pitch as if there's a man on base. Now, you'll see Sale tonight. He pitches with what we'd call kind of a side saddle windup, but he has a little bit of a kick start to it, and he uses his lower body real well, where when you look at right now he's on the disabled as this Drew Pomerantz for the Red Sox. He's like 6'6", and he starts from that set position, and I just think uh, two things. They don't really get as much effort out of their front side as they as they should. I always thought that using that front side, you know, you kind of throw the glove at the hitter, and that was a bit deceptive, and it also gave you a little momentum or power with your motion, which took off a little pressure, you know, lessened the pressure on your arm. So I know they do that for control, but I, I think they're losing a lot. I think the last pitcher that I remember sort of using the full wind-up with her arms was Paul Bird. I don't know if many people remember Paul sure. Bird, but pitcher of the field, he was sometimes even double pump. And I, uh, as Johnny Sane told me years ago, he said, you get hitters out four ways. You know, if you're Koufax, Nolan Ryan, Clemens, guys <laughs> like that, you get them out with natural stuff. Yep. Not all of us have that. Then you get them out with movement, change of speeds, location, or motion. And your motion can be very deceptive, which is an asset to a pitcher. And I don't think enough pitchers are taking advantage of that today. Yeah, that's uh, it. It is an interesting uh, transition, that's for sure. Uh, my uh, son, who's uh, quite a baseball fan, is uh, I was having lunch with him a couple of days ago. He's convinced that we're uh, adding two miles an hour to everybody's velocity by where they are now measuring the speed from that uh, earlier in its flight it's not being measured at the plate it's being measured uh at at the apex i guess of its speed do you i, I mean i am seeing 98 for the other night waka was 96 and i i've never seen him as a 96 mile an hour pitcher i i think we got something going on here velocity wise beyond guys just throwing harder Well, I think your son's right. I think what everybody would be interesting to see if you go on, I think it's YouTube, it's about an hour and 20-minute documentary. I think you'd call it a documentary. It's called Fastball. Okay. And they they have hitters talking about how Goose Gossage's fastball was intimidating, and 
Bob Gibson's and Sandy Koufax's, and then they have the technology guys talking about how, you know, when the ball comes out of the hand, you know, they may not pick it up till it's 10 feet out, and so sometimes those miles per hour are not really true. I've always thought that. I mean, I was pitching for the Cardinals in 1982 when I was closing in on 44 years old, and we had a guy named Charlie Gelati who clocked the pitchers with a radar gun. So I come in with my usual, you know, half an inning, one inning, whatever, and uh, get done, come down the dugout. And Charlie had gone from behind the backstop around up the tunnel, called me down in the tunnel. He said, hey, I clocked you at 92 that inning. I said, Charlie, you see that trash can there? I said, throw that radar gun in that trash can. I said, I couldn't drive 92. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of those are very, very deceptive. I, I, I think some of the things that have sort of uh, taken away the, the enjoyment of our game are the radar gun and all the analytics and launch angle and things like that. But I think your son is right on. I, I don't put a lot of credence in the what the radar guns show and what they actually are. Hey, Jim, uh, Joe Madden this morning was uh, unhappy about the split doubleheader that he, they're playing today, the Cubs, because they got a day game again tomorrow. Did Calvin invent it? Did we? Did Calvin invent it here for the Yankees? I know the uh, there's a couple of younger guys, historians, the twins, who did a kind of a book on the early twins called Split Doubleheader uh, because of Calvin. But they, you didn't have many of those until you got here, right? And then there'd only be a couple a year. But uh, oh, I, I think I think that's accurate. I, and you know, Calvin did such a good job of selling that because his his motive was. The Yankees are in town, yes. and I want to give more people an opportunity <laughs> to see the Yankees. Saturday, so we're right. going to play one game at one and yeah. one game at seven, so eighty-eight thousand people will get to see the Yankees instead of forty-four thousand. So, I, I think you're right on. I don't remember playing any split double hitters till the Yankees came to Minnesota. Well, they had no idea. The players uh, weren't weren't organized then, and they had no idea the monster they were creating with these yeah. split double headers. Yeah, I really, uh, of course, I did that thing on shortening the game to seven innings, yes. and I think it'd be so cool to have a a, a regular double header with seven inning games because it would, you know, it would take probably the same amount of time. Might even take more time than we used to play. Uh, two nine-inning games in a doubleheader, but uh, <laughs> that was such a nice thing for the fans. Yeah, and uh, in minor leagues, of course, that's the way they do it. They do play two seven. Sure. Uh, so you got to get you. You said you don't have a game here for a couple more weeks, huh? Well, I got two of them next week. Okay. I have the Angels at the uh, Red Sox, and of course, we're disappointed that Otani will not be there yeah, for the Angels, right. but. Uh, you know, you get to see guys like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts are two of the best all-around players in the uh, in the game. And then with my friend and colleague John Smoltz, qualified for the U.S. Senior Open Golf Tournament okay, in Colorado. That, so right. they asked me if I could do the Friday game in New York, which will be Red Sox and Yankees, and I will do that. So uh, next week I have two Red Sox games. Yeah, well, that's good. And uh, Red Sox, Yankees, glad we can finally get a chance to see them on TV, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hey, those are two awful good clubs. Hey, thanks for your time, Jim. All right, Patrick. Talk to you in a couple Take of care. weeks. The great Jim right. Cott.
we uh, will return. That does it for the ride with Roycey uh, this uh, week. Have a great weekend, Patrick. And myself and Reavers will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. If you love to travel, you love cool experiences, I think you're going to love Viator. If you haven't heard, Viator is the world's leading travel experience marketplace. They've got everything from simple tours to extreme adventures, all the cool and interesting stuff in between as well. Well, this year, my wife and kids are making one of my bucket list trips come true. We're going to Sun Valley. So we're going to fly to Sun Valley, and I tell you, the thought of bringing skis, poles, boots, snowboards, everything overwhelming. But that's where Viator came in. They made this incredibly easy. I just opened the Viator app, searched Sun Valley, and boom, Viator arranges a first-class experience, custom ski, snowboard, and boot fittings and tickets delivered right to the condo. It's pretty amazing. Experiences are what we love most about travel. They create these long-lasting moments and make memories that will last a lifetime. Just download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking. One app, over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.